Hello and welcome to Economics in 10 with Pete and Gav. As Will Smith famously wrote, it's summer, summer, summertime, and therefore it's time to sit back and unwind. And we think that the best way to do this is to grab a book and read. So this is our summer reading special, The Sequel, and we'll be asking one question 10 times. What book would you recommend and why? A sequel, as you say, we did a summer reading special. Was it last year or the year before? Yeah, two years ago now. Two years ago. We've yeah. done an astonishing amount of reading since then, haven't we? We certainly have. Mainly to do with our normal podcast, so aren't we, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I must say, you say it's summertime, it's been absolutely torrential rain in the UK today, or certainly in the South East. Yeah, not good. No. Flooding hey, in London. Let's not bring people down straight away, Pete. So. <laughs> no, it's going to be uplifting. This is going to be uplifting. Yeah, yeah, it will be. It's something that they can take to a beach, whether it's pouring rain or not, or if they're just trying to hide away from their family, you know, uh, to pick up and, and hopefully they can get. And remember... Oh. As you used to do when we worked together, disappear to the toilet for some time with some reading material. <laughs> books, yes. Books, uh, yeah. Books, that's yeah. Uh, very important uh, to point out. Uh, so, yeah, so <laughs> hopefully um, people will go to their independent bookshops and purchase at least one or two of these books. So where's your nearest independent bookshop? Well, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, the thing is, is that I'd probably go to that one near you in where? Is yeah, it? the Book Nook. Yeah, the Book Nook. So yeah. that's a nice little one, isn't it? So, yeah, shout out to the Book Nook. It's very little, but they're very good. And if they don't have it in, they'll get it in for you. There you go. All right. Jolly good. So uh, who's going to start? Um, you can ask me the first question if you like. Right. <laughs> okay. What book are you reading and why? Okay, so the first book I'm going to recommend to listeners, and I really can't recommend this enough. And if you are an A-level student or really anyone with a general interest in economics, it's Good Economics for Hard Times by Banerjee and Dufflo. And I I say I can't recommend this enough because I can't think of a better succinct and balanced summary of the current state of economic debate in in a number of key areas. So there's chapters, for example, on um, trade. Is trade good? Is it bad? And obviously that's been enormously topical over the last 10 years, Um, particularly with the Trump administration. You know, it's sort of saber-rattling towards China. Um, And I guess it really looks at, just to give that one example of trade, it looks at that particular topic in a really balanced way and asks, in a sense, the same question, like what, is the best of economics uh, in this area. You know, we look at the people who've written most intelligently about this. What do they say about it? What, what What's the best empirical data about the impact of trade, for example? There's another really good chapter on immigration. You know, there's lots of assumptions and prejudices about immigration, um, you know, the degree to which it lowers um you know, wages in countries which have more migration, the, d- the degree to which it impacts on growth. And they're really looking at the best economic uh, sort of evidence I- in that. And really, by the end of the chapter, it will allow you, I think, to make a sort of balanced uh, judgment. And interestingly, 
um, quite amusingly, they've been criticised from both the left and the right. So, um, so yeah, Yanis Varoufakis has been quite critical of Banerjee and Duflo, but so is someone like William Easterly, who's very much markets, markets, markets. So, yeah. Um, but re- really, really good read. I, I can't recommend it enough. If you want to sort of have a, a short-ish sort of summary of the current state of economic debate, in, uh, the chapter on immigration as well is excellent. You know, really looking at all, all the evidence there about how much immigration affects growth. I can't. There's a lovely quote, a poem in it, actually, Gavin. Would you like me to read a poem? Well, you know what, Pete? Uh, our regular listeners um, will be delighted that it's a poem that's not from me. So uh, <laughs> you go for it, Pete, because so, it so is a lovely re- poem. It is a lovely poem. Uh, so the, the chapter about uh, immigration is called From the Mouth of the Shark. And certainly there's some people on, on the right in the UK who would sort of have us believe that, you know, it's very easy to sort of migrate from other countries. Everyone wants to do it. If we don't make it really, really hard, you know, everyone will be on uh, the sort of first boat out of wherever it, wherever it is. And the, the chapter's called From the Mouth of the Shark. And it's um, it's a quote from a poem by a British Somali poet, uh, Wasan Shire. I'll probably mispronounce that as usual. But the poem's called Leaving Home. So I'm I'm just going to read that. Yeah, lovely. No one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. You only run for the border when you see the whole city running as well. Your neighbours running faster than you, breath bloody in their throats. The boy you went to school with who kissed you dizzy behind the old tin factory is holding a gun bigger than his body. You only leave home when home won't let you stay. Yeah. So a really powerful poem, but it's it's used to illustrate and emphasise the idea that Actually, very, very few people choose to migrate from even, you know, very poor countries because it's only out of sheer desperation often, uh, you know, apart from some very sort of hardy and motivated individuals, the vast majority of people who sort of end up being refugees, particularly, uh, it's it's a, it's because they're in in that mouth of the shark, you know. Yeah. No one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. Well, it's a, it's but a lovely even that chapter. I'm sort of saying it's very sort of uh, you know pro the migrant. It's a very very balanced sort of summary of the economic evidence about the impacts of migration, even regardless of the sort of moral debate about uh, refugees and so on. Sorry, uh, you were saying? No, no. I, well, we I mean we've recommended uh, a couple of immigration books before. Um, the immigration novel, um, graphic novel. Uh, by Ian Colfer uh, and Andrew Doykin, I think it's called, and then Open Borders as well by Brian Kaplan. And, and you know, immigration is obviously, you know, relevant at the moment within the UK with people kind mm. of talking about uh, going to shops with empty shelves on and um, harvests not being picked and, and, and things like that and lorry drivers, not enough of them. And it's obviously would be interesting to re- read that, that book. I mean, there's a... A funny thing at the moment where uh, for years, kind of economists have talked about how um, as a counterpoint to anti-immigration people saying, oh, don't, don't, you know, immigrants don't actually force down wages. And uh, now that we've seen this uh, kind of huge reduction in this country, it's kind of quite interesting at the moment that everyone's saying, oh, no, no this is, gives um, the, the, the um, labour market a good time to readjust. Uh, and what should be happening is that you know, people who are struggling for labour that was originally filled by uh, immigration need to be putting up their wages. And you're thinking, hold up a second, you've been saying for the last few years that immigration hasn't suppressed wages. So it seems a bit odd that when immigrants mm-hmm. kind of go home, wages might might go up. So 
I mean, it'd be interesting to hear kind of what what Duflo and, and Benjury said on that. Now, obviously, you mentioned mm. that book, didn't we, in 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 our in our Duflo podcast? I did, yeah. Even so, even though to a certain extent, it's not. This book is more of a kind of summary of lots of other people's work. Obviously, it does touch upon their work, but there's another chapter, for example, about sort of GDP and what affects GDP, what makes some countries grow quicker than others. And it's quite, um, <laughs> so it's not about random control trials, which ultimately is what Duflo and Banerjee uh, won their Nobel Prize from, for rather. It's, you know, the chapter on growth, <laughs> it's quite amusing because ultimately it comes down on the idea that there isn't actually a lot of solid economic evidence, which is as any great reliability or validity that tells you why some countries grow uh, faster than others so there's quite a bit of humility in the book as well about sort of the limits of economics while str- endeavoring throughout to sort of come up with some useful uh, thoughts of, uh, about how we can sort of take policy further so really good book so that's good economics for hard times by abhijit Banerjee and esther duflo lovely have you got the bell no ding-a-ling-a-ling there we go <laughs> sorry i've left it elsewhere okay all right uh, we're apart at the moment because um, I'm isolating. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, the plague uh, has hit Gavin's house, uh, so yeah. he's having to isolate to protect the rest of us. Good on him. Yeah, thank you. Uh, right. right, so I'm going to ask you a question, Gavin. Yeah. Can you recommend a book and why? Yeah, I am. I'm going to speak about the last one I, I've, I've just finished, actually, and uh, it was an excellent book. Um, it's by um, Gillian Tett, who's the editor-at-large at Financial Times. Now, we have mentioned one of her books before on a podcast, uh, called Silos, and it was an excellent book, and I really enjoyed reading her. And so her new book is called Anthrovision, How Anthropology Can Explain Business and Life. So mm-hmm. in many respects, I mean, she um, did anthropology at university, and it's about how basically that skill set has been really, really useful during her time in many different areas. I mean, mainly at the Financial Times looking at economics. But she was someone who wrote about um, the kind of tribe of um, the the city traders. And she wrote a book about it called Fool's Gold that was a a really big hit, just showing about the kind of language that they used. And and, um, at no point did they kind of think about how what they were doing was connected to the real world in many respects. Um, and um, didn't you know they, they built up this? She talks a lot about um, an origin story about you know what was the point of derivatives and CDOs and credit default swaps and where did that come from and and how that origin story is built up to be this kind of good thing about efficient markets and at no point does the the the, the person on the street gets mentioned and she kind of basically predicted that it was all going to kind of go pear-shaped. And so what this book does is kind of talk about that, but just delves into anthropology in a much wider sense about where it's being used uh, for for businesses to kind of consider uh, how they can kind of uh, interact with consumers more, uh, how you can get good teams working. Uh, There's an interesting chapter about working from home, about um, some of the things that you miss from working from home you don't get people kind of connecting which is Mm. something that you maybe undervalue as an organization it's a really interesting book it sounds really interesting yeah Yeah, i've only really come across anthropology as a discipline when i've taught sociology and you well you, you touch upon some sort of classic 
sort of anthropological studies like Malinowski and people like that. But yeah. I, as a discipline, I am fairly ignorant of anthropology. So I guess you will learn a little bit about that as well as, um, you know, the, the, the field which she's applying it to. Sounds fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, she talks about social sciences in general, like sociology and, and, and those kind of things. Um, it, you know, very undervalued, I think. Yeah. Very undervalued. And you know what? It made me think, Pete, when one day we um, maybe leave the world of teaching, yeah. I thought we could set up a kind of anthropological kind of teaching consultancy. <laughs> right sounds sounds niche oh where i'm you up know, for it well because schools have their own you know tri- tribe isn't it in many respects you know a school is yeah. its place and you probably don't get i mean one of the big things she talks about is this idea of imagine an alien just dropping in and what would you spot if you could just look around and interview and talk to people that people who are already embedded within the system just would not mm. notice and we potentially use your skills as a deputy head, me just as a yeah. economics maverick. Um, <laughs> drop Don't, use ourselves. Word, Don't use the word maverick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just going into yeah. schools, you know, spending three or four days there. It's not an offstead. It's not, there's no pressure. It's just following the students around, following the teachers around and just get an anthropological kind of feel yeah. about the way that a school can improve in the future. Yeah, interesting you should say that. There used to be more studies of that nature, you know, sociological studies. So there's a quite a f- seminal sort of neo-Marxist study um, by Paul Willis. It was done in the early 70s, uh, learning to labour, how working class kids get working class jobs. But yeah. I suspect it would be incredibly difficult to sort of gain access to a school in that manner in these, in that, in these times. Yeah, but where- we'd give it some funky name, Pete. Yeah, yeah, we need to rebrand it. Yeah, yeah. we'll drop ourselves in, you know, uh, and 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 at the end of it, we'd write a lovely yeah. anthropological report where we could talk about mm. their value systems and what's not being spoken about within a school system. Yeah. They'll give us five grand. We'll be on our way. <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> so you think this has got more legs than Ask Low Food Cafe? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Okay, right. ding-a-ling-a-ling. Okay. okay, what book would you recommend and why? Okay, so the next book I'm going to recommend is um, a book called How China Escaped Shock Therapy by Isabella uh, Weber. I think it's pronounced Weber. Yeah. Uh, The Market Reform Debate. And uh, we're very lucky to get a sort of pre-release sort of version of this book. And we do hope at some point to get Isabella onto the podcast to talk about China. But it's a fascinating read. Because in a sense, if you go back to when... um, you know, we, we were young, uh, as it were. So when I was about, uh, let me think, 17, uh, the Berlin Wall came down, and that sort of led to, um, you know, major economic reform in Eastern Europe and, uh, you know, the Soviet Union. And the idea touted at the time to get those economies up to speed, as it were, was this idea of shock therapy. Almost overnight, you would expose um these economies to sort of the movement of uh, the price mechanism, markets will be privatized, deregulated, et cetera, et cetera. And the idea was, you know, to do it all really, really quickly. So this idea of uh, shock therapy. And um, Weber's book really is about how China sort of escaped, sort of taking that path. And at some point there was, you know, talk, there was discussion 
as to whether China should take that path, but it has taken uh, a much more sort of gradualist approach where markets have been opened up, um, you know, one by one, as it were, or 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 at a different pace. So I am working my my way through this book, but I am finding it really, really, really interesting. And I know that you've read it as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, this is one that I haven't finished reading actually, uh, because of you know podcast getting in the way, as it were. But I did mm. find it absolutely brilliant in terms of thinking about um, kind of a, a sort of how subsidies can be used. Um, for kind of pushing down prices and maybe some of the policy measures that are kind of no longer considered within the Western world because the Overton window is sort of shifted, that in actual fact, when you think about it, it may actually make quite good sense, if that makes any sense. (laughs) But there you go. It's a really interesting read. And one thing, even one of the appendices I found really interesting, uh, where she sort of drew attention to sort of prominent Chinese economists because you kind of think, yeah, I am completely ignorant of yeah. uh, sort of any sort of movement within uh, sort of China, you know, what economic thinkers are particularly sort of influential or have been influential in directing the sort of path of change in China. Yeah. Um, and I'm know, hoping when we speak to her, that is going to be one of the questions I ask is, is if we were had to do kind of one episode on a, on a Chinese economist, who would she recommend and why? Yeah, yeah, I think that would be a really interesting, uh, really interesting question. Yeah, but it is it is fascinating because certainly I remember reading a few years ago now the sort of Joseph Stiglitz book, um, Globalization: Its Discontents, and that was very critical of the IMF's sort of approach to you know reforming what you know i guess what they perceived as underachieving countries and a lot of that would be about sort of shock therapy i remember that book really highlighting for me you know where are the success stories where are the countries that have taken that kind of you know medicine if you like from the imf and from from the west you know where has that been really successful and certainly what i've taken from um so Weber's book and just sort of my understanding generally of, of this area is that it doesn't work, <laughs> you know, or it doesn't work in such simplistic terms, you know, this kind of overnight movement from a, a planned economy to a free market economy without any sort of understanding of how institutions might have to evolve or be built up over time um, to facilitate the success of a market economy. I think it's... Um, it's a really interesting read. So that's uh, my second recommendation, uh, How China Escaped Shock Therapy, The Market Reform Debate by Isabella M. Faber. Very good. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. Thank you. So, Gavin, uh, may I ask you, uh, what else would you recommend as a great summer read? Yeah, well, I recently uh, read Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less, which is a book by uh, Lydie Klotz, who is a professor at the University of Virginia, Virginia. And so what he does is... You gave Virginia a bit of a French twist, then. <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean, yeah. it's a bit it's a bit like um, sort of reading a dissertation in many respects, and I don't mean that in an insulting way, but like he sets up the, the, his idea, he goes away and researches it, and then he kind of talks about how it can be used. So his big idea is basically saying, you know, why do we find it, when we're trying to solve problems... We always want to add something to solve the problem, you know, like add this, add that. And uh, 
we we never want to uh, take things away or subtract. So, you know, if you were dealing with something, um, uh, coming up with an invention or whatever, you, you'd, I mean, I always used to teach this thing in business studies, but how do you be creative? And you use this bar approach, which is called bigger add replace. Yeah. So right. it's always this thing about, oh, um, let's add bigger wheels or whatever. And he's basically saying, look, in actual fact, what you can do is we should be thinking about subtracting more you know, as a way of sol- solving problems. So the kind of example he gives, and I don't know whether you'll ever get one of these for your little boy, um, one of those uh, bikes that doesn't have any, um, like a balance bike. Oh, yeah, balance bike. Did, did Olivia yeah. ever have one of those? She didn't, no. Uh, we went for the kind of shock therapy approach. Uh, you know. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean the traditional way. No, no, no. To be fair, she had stabilizers. Yeah? Well, that's so the thing, like, so the tra- kind of an industrial policy before we took the wheels off. Yeah, exactly. so no, it wasn't quite shock therapy. No. Right. So no. So there's an there's the example, right? How do you get kids to to ride a bike? You add some stabilizers. Yeah, that is a yeah. perfect example of what he's talking about, and that's great. But what they do is it just stabilizes. It doesn't teach them any balancing skills. And obviously, mm. once you take the stabilizers off, you need to know how mm. to balance. So the inventor, basically, of uh, the balance bike subtracted from a normal bike and just created the balance bike. So kids now are like, projecting themselves with their little leggies, and at the same time, they're learning how to balance, so then it becomes easier to transition mm. from a balance bike to a normal bike. So he, he uses this all the way through. The, the, and, you know, for us, Pete, this is a perfect book, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> he says in here, one of this starts a quote with, um, which is attributed to Mark Twain. But, I mean, I investigated this a little bit further and it's been attributed to everyone. Okay, it says here, um, <clears throat> I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one. Okay, so it's this idea that to actually think about subtracting actually takes yeah. effort. And it's a bit like our podcast, Pete. I mean, <laughs> we, it's easy for us just to come on here. We'll chat and stuff like that. Yeah. And we know it's long and we ramble on about that. But the effort it takes to kind of edit and things like that yeah. is is hard work. And unfortunately, we probably don't do it. When you listen to other kind of professional podcasts, they are so tight. Oh, I tell you who's brilliant at that, Tim Harford. You know, a word is not wasted. You know, in those little... Um, you know, 50 things that change the modern yeah. economy, they are really um, a model of concision. You know, no, exactly. About 11 uh, minutes or whatever they are, yeah. they, they, they say they say a great deal. No, and I, I listened to Simon Evans' Go to Market the other day, which is always quite a good to listen to. But again, there is no fat on those bones. Now, to be honest, though, when I listen to that, you can see how, you can hear how scripted they are, you know. And I'm not saying that's a bad, a bad thing, <laughs> but you can sometimes think, oh, well, that's a little bit cheesy, whatever. But it, it does, you know, what you do is you appreciate how much effort goes in into mm. producing something tight, 30 minutes and, and, and so on. So, I mean, we are, as he quotes in the book, uh, to, to um, you know, use a, a famous economist here, like Herbert Simon. Yeah, we are satisficers, right. aren't we? Yeah. We're like, yeah, that would do. You yeah, know? but we're comparing apples and oranges here, aren't we, ultimately? Yeah. No, but I'm just saying, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not having a go at this in many respects. I mean, but, <laughs> but it's just this interesting idea about 
editing and you, you get to appreciate mm. that skill um so there you go so it's a it's what's a, the name of the book again it's called subtract the untapped science of less um not that many people be interested but i have actually written a blog about this that relates to teaching um right. yeah which i might um tweet alongside uh, this which gets you thinking about how because he talks a little bit about cognitive load within a classroom and about again how mm. we should maybe be subtracting uh there now Hmm. even though we're very positive- as I say just on a really quick sort yeah. of teaching tip because obviously I am an old hand in the classroom and often I find teachers in some subjects they give the kids far too much feedback yeah and I'm always, you know talking of subtract I always say look how much of it do you think they will read and they look up at me all of it I'm thinking no 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 yeah but some teachers write as much as the kids have written that's a fair point will not read that if you write three little sort of targets at the end and they read them you you are fortunate yeah (laughs) that is is true exactly so getting that one thing they can move on but but again what you are doing there Pete, subtracting see the way that we can use both these books to go in and be consultants in a school now we're a positive podcast Pete, aren't we we are but um, what I wanted to do in this podcast is every now and again quote something from uh, Amazon reviews because they are quite funny sometimes. Yeah. So um, this one here is by a guy called Brotkoff who gives the book two out of five. Now, I wouldn't obviously Gosh. give it two out of five. I think it's quite good. And the title of his review is Less Would Have Been So Much More. The book in one sentence, consider the option of removing X before defaulting to adding where X is physical stuff, parts, thoughts, etc. Too much repetition, too many words, too many tangents. The book is in urgent need of subtraction. There you go. Well, Pretty I, harsh. But it, me. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, but why, just, why are we reading out mean reviews again? Because, it, because I think it's funny that <laughs> a lot of people have said the problem with the book is that he needs to subtract. Ah, right. I see. Is it a long book? Yeah, it's not that long. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Be... There, are, there, are, there are books I've read, which I think, blimey, you know, less would have been more. Uh, no, it's true. I mean, there's many of these books are, are would make very good pamphlets. Lots of Marvel films as well, to be oh. totally honest. I feel like you should send a copy of this to anyone who has produced or edited a Marvel film. Yeah, they're, 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 always, about an, they're always about an hour too long. But anyway, yeah, I do digress. Anyway, ding-a-ling-a-ling, what book would you recommend next, Pete, and why? Okay, so my next book is not one I've read. It's one I'm looking forward to uh, read, and it's on the basis of having uh, read another book by this author and really enjoyed it. And that is Economics, The User's Guide by Ha Jun Chang. Yeah. And I have read by him his previous book, and I need to get the number right. Um, 23. 23 things that you you need to know about capitalism. Is that the correct title? Yeah. But I really enjoyed that. So I'm looking forward to this because I suspect it will be a fairly sort of irreverent and uh, yeah. a challenging take on um, uh, the, the discipline of economics. And Harjun Chang is um, a teacher of economics, uh, of economics at Cambridge. So he's very much coming from the inside. But um, there's a little quote here. It's a witty and timely debunking. Oh, no, this is about his previous book of some of the biggest myths <laughs> around in the global economy. Yeah. But I, I do think I really enjoyed that last book. So this is one I'm going to enjoy when I'm on my holiday. Well, luckily I've read it, Pete. All yeah. right. Well, tell me about what did you think of it? You could be like the, the Amazon reviewer who I'm going yeah. to read and Thank then you. either decide to pick it up or put it down. Can I, can I just say, um, whenever there's a review that includes witty 
or mm. fun. I've I've done I, I don't know about anyone else, but I've re- rarely laughed whilst reading an economics <laughs> book. I don't know about that, but he always makes me laugh when he says, "Oh, this is a really fun book." To, you like fun, anyway. Um, so hard, yeah. The book I I read this actually when I went to Tanzania with my school. I, I thought because right. it's a big old book, and I thought, well, that would take me ages to read. It's not that big. It's hardly War and Peace. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, but I, I wait. So uh, and. Um, yeah, and I, I loved it. And I, and I show at the beginning of my A-level classes a, um, a, a talk by him, or it's, it's an, an RSA animate, where he, right. he talks about economics is for everyone. Yeah. And the point he makes, which is connected to the book, is that, and I tell this to students, I say, look, in the classroom, I'm teaching you one maybe two, because you include behavioral economics these days, but one sort of pathway through the world of economics. And what Harjun Chang does in that book quite brilliantly is to explain how many different routes there are throughout economics. Mm. So, so it's very, uh, what's the term? Heterodox. heterodox. Yeah, heterodoxical heterodox. kind of basically look at economics. He's saying, look, there's a Marxist route, there's an Austrian route. I mean, in many respects, kind of playing to what, our strengths in terms of what we do, I suppose, in our podcast yeah. is we've yeah, tried to look at all these different ways Veblen gets a. I mean, basically, he 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 shows people that do not believe kind of what you see when you have people kind of saying that this is you know, the classic Thatcher. There is no alternative. He's basically saying, "I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight alternatives," and, mm. and that's why it's a really brilliant book. Great. Okay, so that's we're up to our fifth book now. We are. Okay, so Gavin, we're at the halfway stage. So I did promise you this. Yeah. It's now going to be unusually quiz time, but I am the quiz master. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. quiz master. So what I've decided to do is pick some quotes from uh, three titans of economics, taken from their their great works. So. It's really easy. All you've got to answer to each of these quotes, or after I've read out each of these quotes, is, is it Smith, is it Marx, or is it Keynes? Uh, okay. If I get these wrong, it's going to be embarrassing. If what, sorry? If I get it wrong, it's going to be embarrassing, isn't it? Well, I've, to be fair, I've chosen the quotes because some of them might be a bit ambiguous. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not deliberately trying to catch you out, but I thought I'd make it interesting. So no, there's nothing be, about butchers and bakers for Pete, Smith. For to be honest, if I was doing this for you, I would be looking to catch you out. So, yeah. you know. Right. Okay. Oh, well, that's an insight. <laughs> right. So you ready? Yeah. Okay. Quote one. Words ought to be a little wild for they are the salt of thoughts on the unthinking. Is that Smith? Is it Marx? Or is it Keynes? I'm going Marx. That's Keynes. <sighs> okay, yeah. I, f- I feel okay. there might be a lot of errors. Zero and one. Okay. okay. Science is the great antidote to the poison of enthusiasm and superstition. Is yeah. that Smith? Is it Marx? Or is it Keynes? I think that is Marx. It's Adam Smith. Oh, right. It's like zero, one, two. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> I, can see, I can see. I can almost feel your spirit sinking. Yeah, I know. Uh, can I just point out, tragic... I, I, I've been on AK, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you did quite well as well. Right, ready. So third up. 
The real tragedy of the poor is the poverty of their aspirations. Probably. Is it Smith? Is it Marx? Or is it Keynes? Sure, it can't be Marx, but then you haven't given. I'm going to go Smith. You're right. Yes. Hey, one on three. Okay. Well done. Good. Well done. Okay. Fourth quote. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to go for Marx. Yes, well done. He is, he is quite um, acerbic, isn't yeah, he, Mark? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think we picked up on that. Right, last one. So you, you two out of five, this could take you to respectability yeah, yeah. or ignominy. This yeah, is crucial. Going in direction with this, this one. This is yeah. crucial. Yeah. This is like a penalty shootout. I know, I know. This, this is the key penalty now. It's not quite to put any pressure on you. Yeah. So, most men love money and security more and creation and construction less as they get older. Is that Smith? Is it Marx? Or is it Keynes? I can repeat it if you want. No, I'm going to go for... I kind of want to say Marx, but I think you won't do Marx twice in a row. So I'm going to go Keynes. Yes, well done. Mm. So that gives you a grand total of uh, three out of five. (laughs) Yeah, you know, was, I'm quite proud of you there, Gov. Thank uh, you. It was a slow uh, start. Yeah. Jolly good. Well, thanks for that quiz, Pete. Well okay, brilliant. So, um, who's up next in terms of questions? It's me. It's you. So, Gavin, what book could you recommend next and why? Well, um, I, I, as hopefully our listeners know, I'm a big, big fan of uh, graphic novels. And so I couldn't have a five books not including a graphic novel. And at the same time, I think over the last year or so, you know, clearly there's been so much discussion around Black Lives Matters. And obviously, as I say to my students at school, you know, I'm trying to educate myself more and more and more, you know, around those issues. So if I look around my room, I can see, uh, you know, a recent book by Emma DeBeery. Uh, called you know what white people can do next okay and i've read you know how to be anti-racist i'm trying to i'm trying to educate myself basically uh, more and more more so this one is a book called wake the hidden history of women-led slavery revolts and it's written by uh rebecca uh, hall and it Mm -hmm. and um it's put together by hugo martinez now, Rebecca Hall is a lawyer, historian, and activist who has taught at Utah and Ber- Berkeley. So it's like a part memoir, part graphic novel. Um, you know, some of the imagery by Hugo, like, really stays with you. But it's the story that you find fascinating because mm. Rebecca's grandmother was a slave. And so what she is trying to do here is kind of show how the past clearly influences kind of now and and it's kind of like a Mm. shadow that kind of is it's kind of over her really Mm. and um she's trying to basically find out more and more and more about women and within these you know revolts and a lot of the time because there were women just the data wasn't recorded but also there is still the power game going on even now within our society where she can't access um, like basic, basic kind of records. You know, she gets kind of turned away by areas, you know, 
And then um, one of the kind of fascinating ones is where she travels to London. And if you think about the history of some of these big like banks and whatever in London, you know, they basically made a lot of their money kind of off the slave trade. So they, they, you know, the Bank of England, you know, one of the interesting things that you find out when you go to the Slave Museum in Liverpool is, is how the Bank of England kind of basically made money off it. But the the one that she talks about in the book is Lloyd's of London, where she basically mm. gets treated despicably, you know, and she tries to go and get some research from them. And, you know, it's that kind of old power base, you know, it's like, oh, we don't let people do this. And you're like, well, you do, but not when it's this, which is going to mm. basically portray you in a, in a kind of a, a negative light. And, mm. you know, the whole story is just utterly fascinating. I mean, she does use her imagination to paint some stories. She talks at mm. the end about... Um, the slave ship called Unity, where there was a, a revolt, and about why women could basically lead these revolts, because they were allowed on the top deck, you know, to basically for the the sailors to have their kind of wicked way with, you know. Right. Um, but what they did is that they, you know, were part of the revolts. You know, they're the ones who kind of release people and and and, and mm. kind of break free. So it's a, it's a, I would really encourage people to, to, mm. to read this book. It's superb. Okay. So just repeat the, the title and the author. Uh, it's uh, Rebecca Hall, Wake the Hidden History of Women. Can I just, I just want to, I, I, obviously it's a serious topic, but I just wanted to give a, a, a review that was a one-star review. Okay. <clears throat> um, the, the complaint was, um, I tried to uh, return this because it was not what I expected. Unfortunately, I didn't attempt to read this until more than seven days after I bought the book. Couldn't return it. Wish I hadn't bought it. Thought this was a serious research book, which is, by the way. It is in cartoon format. Ugh. Can't even begin to read this because I'm not into this format at all. Couldn't get past the second page. Not happy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like... <laughs> How do you not sound? Doesn't sound the most broad-minded of people. <laughs> it really makes me laugh. It's like it's a cut. It's a graphic novel. Like, and the yeah. fact that you would be so close to say, "Oh, I just can't read it." Anyway, yeah. I find. But can I just say the reason I I kind of bring that review up? Obviously, it's a negative review. But that is genuinely how some people feel about graphic novels, and I will defend yeah. graphic novels till the cows come home. I have never. I don't think I've really read a graphic novel, despite being an aficionado of um, you know comic books as a yeah. child. Well, there, there's some superb books. You out might have there. to give me some sort of recommendations. Yeah. You probably have over the years, and I've probably ignored you. <laughs> don't worry about it. Ding a ling a ling. What book would you recommend, and why? Okay, so uh, my next book is a novel, but it is a novel about an economist, ah. and it's called Mister Keynes's Revolution. Uh, by E.J. Barnes. And I've been meaning to read this for some time, but I, I've read it recently and I really enjoyed it. So it's, uh, it is a novel, but it covers a really interesting period in Keynes's life. It's sort of the period, I, I suspect there might be a sequel actually, because it doesn't sort of sort of end, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like a particularly sort of final. I think, I think she's writing one now. Although I'm right, yeah. Um, but it covers the period when, uh, so after World War One, when he's done some work in the Treasury, um, when he's sort of in, in, a sec, in effect cast out by the establishment due to sort of having quite strong views, firstly on, um, 
uh, you know, the peace accords that was come to at the end of World War One, which he disagreed with. Really good book that came out of that, just as an aside. Keynes's Economic Consequences of the Peace, still really readable, by the way. Um, and it follows through the novel uh, that period in his sort of public life through to um, the UK uh, rejoining the gold standard when Winston Churchill, funnily enough, is the Chancellor of the Exchequer. So it's kind of the, the, the sort of 1920s, but uh, sort of threaded through this is also, and probably more importantly in terms of the novel, um, uh, Keynes's uh, love affair and uh, ultimately marriage to Lydia Lopakova. And she is actually painted in a really sort of interesting light in the book. But I, I really enjoyed it, actually. I, I, I wasn't sure about it. I wasn't sure, well, how can you make a novel out of, you know, sort of Keynes's life and ideas, but it's actually done sort of really, really well. And it's sort of, there's sort of lots of cameo roles for members of the Bloomsbury uh, group, uh, like Duncan Grant and so on. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it and I'd really recommend that. If you're interested in the sort of Bloomsbury group or if you're in, interested in Keynes or just that really fascinating period of history, the 1920s, you'll get all of that, but you'll also get a really good novel. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. So uh, I would strongly recommend that. That is uh, Mr. Keynes's Revolution by E.J. Barnes. Yeah, and she's great. Cause she, well, uh, no, I haven't read it. I'll uh, lend it to you. I genuinely think you'd enjoy it. Yeah, no, I think I will. Uh, and she is someone who really engages with us uh, kind of online through Twitter. And so you can follow her and find out what her next kind of steps are. Yeah, but a fascinating book, really fascinating period of history. Keynes is ultimately an incredibly interesting character. Yeah, he's brilliant, isn't and he? And the circles he moved in uh, were also full of fascinating and sort of colourful individuals. So strongly recommended. Yeah, there will one day definitely be a kind of a mini-series about him or something like that. Yeah, you could see it. I mean, I, I couldn't definitely. see it before I'd read that novel, but I could see it now. And I think actually I read in the sort of, I can't remember if it was the foreword or, or, you know, some sort of notes at the end of the book. She originally wrote it as a film script. Yeah. Uh, but it ended up being a novel. But I, I could see it. it's a very sort of cinematic book uh, yeah. as well as being well written. Ironically, the only bits I thought were a touch clunky was when uh, sort of Keynes is sort of trying to explain his ideas right. uh, to Lydia or, or, or some of a sort of, lesser economic mortal and sometimes that felt a bit clunky but everything else i thought flowed really well yeah and I, i'm not sure that's a criticism of the novel it's probably just hard to get his ideas in there while sort of maintaining the sort of the flow of a of a, of a, of a dramatic novel but yeah, yeah. I suppose but you very enjoyable and strongly recommend it yeah very good lovely ding-a-ling-a-ling so gavin may i ask you again what would you recommend and why uh, to read this summer well um this is a, another author that we've talked about before in our first ever podcast, actually, which is Katrine Marcel, who wrote a book called uh, Who Cooked Adam Swiss Lunch, which was basically highlighting how, you know, the, just the lack of women within economics in terms of the thinking process, you know. Um, and, um, and because of that, you can see how you know for example gdp you know women's work doesn't get recorded you know in terms of housework in a typical kind of patriarchal society um and what she's done is uh written another book called mother inventions uh which is uh how uh good ideas um get ignored basically um in an economy built for men i think um so 
last time we recommended Invisible Women uh, by Caroline uh, Criado Perez. And this is a really kind of good complementary book, I would argue, kind of for for that. Um, you know, like that, that Invisible Women is brilliant. I mean, like when you watch anything now, you think, oh, you know, like for the coronavirus jab, you kind of think, oh, you know, did they test it on enough on women? You know, because a lot of the time when they do trials of, of vaccines, it's normally heavily weighted and to men and you know there was kind of stuff in the news about a, a, a woman going to um on a spaceship and there wasn't the, the enough suits for them and you kind of think oh that's kind of classic kind of invisible women stuff and this book sort of uh, kind of follows a similar path saying how because we live in what ultimately is a patriarchal society um we have ignored kind of inventions that would be very very useful uh, to society at large because we've purely thought about what would be useful for men and not for women so the example she uses straight off the bat pretty much is to do with a um uh, a suitcase with wheels you know why was that why did it take so long for that to be invented and it's because ultimately women weren't you know travelers you know um at a kind of singular level um it was a bit of machismo in terms of blokes wanting to like you know show they can lift their bags and you know do you want to be trundling on the wheels you know looking feminine or whatever and and that is her kind of highlighting some of the problems you know in society mm-hmm. today and her final chapter is this brilliant kind of discussion about how you know the way that we treat kind of mother earth it's like the male dominating mother earth and kind of misusing it and it doesn't really matter because there's people like bezos and branson and musk who basically will just go off to another mother like mars and basically you know misuse that as well (laughs) (laughs) so there you go so it's it's a it's a brilliant book uh and i would encourage everyone to read it yeah it sounds really interesting interestingly i bought a book for my daughter some years ago now about um female inventors and inventions i think the windscreen wipers were invented by women yeah i might have just made that up because i read it some years ago well in the book she talks about brake pads basically being invented by the wife of ben's i don't know who he was and i don't know what her name was but she was the first one who took the the ben's car out for a a ride and basically the brakes were basically destroying the car and so she had to invent brake pads so yeah i mean yeah it's, a, it's a, just a great book to read and like i say if you really enjoyed invisible women you you'd really enjoy this book so Kate, katrina marcel mother of invention go and get it right all right ding ling ling so what's is this your final book to recommend i, I think, think it is my final book yeah. have you got one afterwards yeah I have. okay so the last book i'm going to recommend is uh called scoff a History of Food and Class in Britain right. by Penn Vogler, or Vogler, I don't even pronounce it. So, as it says, <laughs> it's a history of, of food and class in Britain, but I really like food history. And it did make me think, actually, we must do an episode on kind of the economics of food and the food supply. But it is is it is a really sort of fascinating read. It sort of goes through, it's like tea, coffee, you know, when they became into the uk like when they were sort of adopted by sort of different classes um and lots of sort of snobbery around sort of certain um you know aspects of consuming sort of tea or coffee but um 
it, it sort of goes through sort of lots of sort of different chapters and takes us sort of up to date about sort of issues to do with food and class, but it's really readable actually and really enjoyable. By the way, do you put milk in first or milk in last? For coffee. Tea. Tea last. Coffee first. Yeah. So apparently there is uh, milk in first is lower class. Did you know that? Wow. Well, there you go. Yeah. And milk in last is, 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 is posher. It's, it's interesting do you because... Say, oh, do you say serviette or do you say napkin? Well, I, I wouldn't say either. <laughs> just you just say sleeve yeah kitchen towel <laughs> got some kitchen towel yeah yeah no, probably serviette uh, serviette probably yeah serviette working class yeah, yeah. so there you are well, thank you but well, uh, <laughs> well, there's, there's there's lots about that but obviously like it, it, it's classic classic stuff you know it talks about how when when it's, it's first comes in, you know, it's an elite drink, but then loads of people have it. And then there's lots of sort of classist sort of, uh, uh, you know, rhetoric about how, you know, the working class shouldn't be drinking tea. It makes them this, it makes them that, um, and which is amusing considering it's sort of our national yeah. drink. But it goes through the history of sort of, you know, key food stuff that we consume today. But uh, it's really just, can I just say quickly on that, on that note, I mean, it's interesting yeah. that because in Rebecca Hall's book, she talks about, when she uh, travel over a trip to England where she talks of, of tea and of sugar, yeah. you know, what we enjoy every single day, just being this yeah. signal of our colonial past, you yeah. know, and we wouldn't give it much thought whatsoever. Well, just the one thing that English breakfast tea. Yeah. There's nothing English. about. It. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there <laughs> you go. I've missed the tea plantations that uh, yeah. grow wild in the uh, uh, in Hertfordshire. Uh, um, no, but yeah. so, anyway, there we are. So, ding-a-ling-a-ling, Gavin, what is the last book that you want to recommend to read this summer? Well, I mean, I talk to people at school a little bit about how I get trapped in non-fiction. Um, and I know that's, I think, a kind of a weakness of mine. I don't, I don't, I just feel I don't read enough fiction. So um, my final recommendation is a book that is fiction. Um, right. Obviously, because this is an economics kind of politics-y type podcast, um, it kind of relates to that a little bit. So it's called The Last Day, which is right. by Andrew Murray Hunter. Now, he's a QI elf, and um, I think I've seen him a few times in Ostentatious, which is kind of like this stand-up show where they improv. A QIL. What does that mean? A QIL. It means elf. All oh, right. So it's one of the so QI for non-British listeners is a it's kind of an intellectual quiz show, isn't it? Yeah, where they find in out the fascinating stuff, and and so, so they a QI elf do... would be someone who sort of looked up a lot of the facts, which yes. they discussed in the show. And he's a writer of Private Eye as well. I mean, he's a right. and he's been on the Mash Report, which is an, a kind well, of satirical, yes, uh, exactly uh, journals and TV shows. Yeah, so he's a he's an interesting, funny kind of guy. Yeah, and um, what this book is about is. Um, I mean, we've heard a lot this summer, haven't we? A classic thing that Chris Whitley has been trying to say, and Mr. Van Tam is that is that is Van Tam in it? Yeah. Um, which is where he says, "Scientists advise, politicians decide." 
right? Yeah. And it, it's kind of linked to this book a little bit because what this, uh, the, the story behind this book is that the world has basically stopped turning. Um, so I think a meteorite has gone past and it's slowed down. So he talks about the slowing period and now they're in the stop period. And in the mm. stop period, there is a dark side and then there's a hot, bright side. And then in between, which includes Britain and a bit of Europe, whatever, is the kind of spot where you can basically survive. Right. And so it's this way, you know, and that's the story is about um, how did we get to that point? Um, and then there's a thing where the scientist who uh, advised the prime minister at the time about what they should do with regards um, this issue where basically people can only live in Britain or around this area. What do you do in terms of immigration, uh, in terms of the shortage of food? And so what they do is they create these barriers to get in. And so you can see how it kind of pans into the Brexit debate and immigration <laughs> just generally and kind of links to global warming because, you know, suddenly some places are not um, hospitable anymore. So they obviously have to migrate to different areas. How do you cope with that? And then in, in power in the UK, in this book, there's a kind of a strong man, yeah, who is basically mm. making these decisions. And it's the scientist who uh, has advised. Right. Yeah? And so it's this kind of like scientists advise, but the prime minister decides. But he's obviously feeling quite guilty, the scientist, about what he's advised. And so the kind of key person in the novel is trying to find out what secrets has he got that he wants to now reveal, but unfortunately he's died. And so she's trying to get to uh, the bottom of it. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting story. It's quite a nice idea. Yeah. Um, and um, it is pretty, pretty relevant uh, for what's going on right now. Now I do have a brilliant review here and I'm sure um, Andrew uh, Murray Hunter being a kind of comedian would appreciate these reviews. I bet he must've looked them up. Okay, this is a classic. This is one out of five, this review. Guardian about Brexit. Starts off promising enough, but quickly starts to read like a Guardian article about the evils of the UK and Brexit. If that's your thing, then you should enjoy this. Oh, that's not that bad. <laughs> seven not people. And a particular reader. Yeah. Seven people found that useful. Yeah. So oh, there yeah. you go. Anyway, that's that's it, Pete. Okay. Brilliant. That's the okay, end of right. our um, summer reading special. Now, I just quickly want to talk about um, the future. Now, obviously, there's always, last time we did this, we knew there was books coming out that would certainly be of interest to us and hopefully yeah. you as readers. So um, there's one by a guy called uh, Duncan Weldon that I'm really looking forward to. Um, he's just moved to Hartford as well, Pete, so at some point we might be able to bump into him. Oh. And it's called The Hundred Years of Muddling Through. So it's kind of this kind of economic history book, which I think we'll find uh, very interesting. Yeah, and he's a good writer, isn't he? Yeah, he's an excellent writer. And then another one, which is another graphic novel. Now, this time, last time, we were waiting for Billionaires by Daryl Cunningham, which is a brilliant book on Bezos, Murdoch and the Koch brothers. And mm. he's now writing one about Putin called Putin and Russia, the rise of a dictator. And right. I'm really looking forward to that. And also in September, Pete, this is very exciting, mm. isn't it? There's a magazine 
being relaunched called Economics Today, featuring writers such as Tim Hartford and... The Economics in Ten team. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're really looking forward to that, actually. Economics Today was a brilliant journal in the past, and we're hoping it will be so again, and we're quite honoured uh, to be contributing an article to yeah. it. Yeah, and we're hopefully we'll be uh, chatting to Peter Crabb at some point, uh, who is uh, the guy behind Economics Today in one of our podcasts. And just to finish off, Pete, what are you reading right now, or, or is it or is it not really yeah. something... Well, I've been reading, I'm actually halfway through a couple of the books, which I've, uh, we've, we talked about on route, like the Harjun Chang book. I've recently, cause I, I, I sort of have a, a double life as a reader, uh, in that I have books, which I read and then I have books, which I listen to uh, a couple of audio books, which I've listened to, uh, Dan Jones, the crusades, brilliant, right. really, really good, really fascinating period of history. And if anyone, I remember when I was brought up, I sort of, I think I read Walter Scott and was sort of like, oh, you know, the Crusades, brilliant. It it will debunk (laughs) uh, any sort of nostalgia one might have about the Crusades, really on either side, you know, both sides are sort of pretty awful. (laughs) And it just makes you think, as many history books do to me, I am so glad we live now. Yeah. and not then but to a certain extent you can see not necessarily the roots of certain historical conflicts today but certainly the roots of uh, some sort of uh, rhetoric which some people are sort of prepared to utilize uh, based on really sort of stuff and nonsense and a complete lack of historical knowledge about the crusades but i'd really recommend that it's a really it's a it's a really well written uh, book and he reads it himself the author and he's got um you know an engaging sort of style because actually with audio books you have to <laughs> you have to like the voice as well yeah yeah i've listened to some books i really liked and, oh god i can't listen to this person anymore yeah. <laughs> that's very so, nice. there we are and perhaps some people think that about our voices uh, they, they, they not for very do. long <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, can I just say what I'm I'm just quickly reading as well? Yeah, go for it. I mean, this is a book that has had a array of reviews recently, thanks to the success of Gareth Southgate and his England team. And it's called uh, Belonging, the Ancient Code of Togetherness by Owen Eastwood. So I've just started reading it. Um, He's of kind of Maori descent. And it's basically a book that shows how teams come together. And they talk about this idea called Waka Papa which is kind of acknowledging your kind of ancestors, both past and in the future. And already I'm absolutely gripped. And I don't want to keep on going on about our education consultancy, Pete. Uh, (laughs) But you're going to. But but I can really see how we can uh, suggest how Wacker Papa could be used within a school sitting. You know, you think about schools generally, and I don't know whether people appreciate this too much, but it's a bit like England football team. When you're playing for England, you borrow the shirt, don't you, from your previous people. You know, Maguire has borrowed it from Bobby Moore. Yeah, Yeah. and there'll be someone in the future who will take it again, you know, from Maguire. And, and, you know, at the moment, this is Maguire's moment in the sun. And how are you going to represent that as you and, and what legacy are you going to leave? And yeah. and in many respects, you can see that within a school setting. Like you when you put can. on the blazer at your school or the jump red jumper at my school, you know, you are connecting for, yeah. in my example for, for 400 years of history. 
Yeah. And all well, can those... I just say very quickly, you mentioned uniform. I know you're waxing lyrical about it. Yeah. And I'm not going to mention my school's name because uh, obviously I don't want to bring it into yeah. disrepute. But uh, <laughs> I, was driving. I was driving my daughter and uh, so we pulled up to have a coffee and she, uh, she'd she been looking at her phone and said, Dad, is that your school's uniform? And I was like, yes, it is. And um, some girl had put on TikTok, if you thought your uniform was bad, and it had had three million likes. Because <laughs> the uniform is quite distinctive. It's um, the girls wear a, an ankle length uh, skirt. And it's a state school. It's not a private school where you yeah. might imagine these kind of shenanigans go on. Um, but well, yeah, she's, so she's, she's her whack papa there. I mean, has she <laughs> has she used it in a positive manner? I mean, in many well, respects. I think it made laugh. I did tell the head teacher about it. She thought it was amusing as but, well. But what I'm saying is if, if that suddenly gets a conversation going about your uniform and in the future yeah. it changes yeah. then and, and creates a legacy for her future ancestors at that school, which yeah. makes them more proud of being in that school, mm. then she's done a job there, hasn't she? Yeah, it's interesting yeah. you should say that, though. I was literally having this conversation with um, a colleague at school. We sort of have to go outside at the end of the day on the gate. And we were chatting and we were having this exact same conversation, just like about colleagues who'd left in the past. And, oh, yeah, you know, you know, you would have thought at the time that, you know, the school wouldn't be able to survive the loss of this. But of course they do. You know, the waters just sort of rise yeah. around them and you know they're forgotten you know but it's so not but it's, 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 it's good you know it's, it's good it's positive it is positive we were, but you... we were discussing sorry at, at what um what where the continuity is you know where, where's the actual thread of continuity is there one that sort of goes through all these sort of different people and different cohorts of children is there actually a sort of a cultural continuity if you like yeah, and that, that's it. That's the value system that brings you together as a, as a school and brings yeah. organisations through and, and teams like England through, you know, that they appreciate yeah. the history mm. and they know that for this split second in time, which for them might seem a lot, students, seven years or five years, whatever it might be, mm. might seem a long time, but in the history of it all, they yeah. should recognise their part in a bigger society yeah. and it's a beautiful thing to think about. But anyway, it's a great book, and yeah. uh, it's not obviously one of the ones I'm. I'm, I'm really loving reading it. Yeah. So, so who's that? Remind, remind me again. The author Owen the Eastwood, belonging yeah. the ancient code of togetherness. Great book. Brilliant. So there you go. Look, we 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 have. Oh my word, we have exploded, haven't we, with books tonight? And that's yeah. what we're all about. We love doing it. Um, yeah. We would like to thank you for listening, and hope that you will listen to our next podcast. Uh, we'd also like to thank our friend Nick, as always, who gives us technical advice with regards to podcasting. And obviously, follow us on in Twitter and Instagram at Economics in 10 or contact us by email at economicsin10 at gmail.com. I mean, if you've yeah. read any of these books, or if you're the author of these books, we'd love to hear from you and engage in that conversation. Yeah, and similarly, if you want to leave uh, a review for us on iTunes, be it one star or five star, uh, <laughs> we would love you to do so. All true. feedback is welcome. Have a lovely summer, Thank yeah? You. Yeah, have a lovely summer. Thank you for listening. <laughs>